Oh, you have time. You have time. I won't get too far ahead of you. Revelation chapter 17. So we've about gotten through all the hard stuff. You guys have fought through. A lot of you have been here through most of this. It's been a, it's been a long, hard battle coming through uh, the seven-year tribulation. Uh, we got one more chapter. We'll finish up, by the grace of God, 17 today. And then I, I ain't even going to guess how many weeks we got on 18. I, as soon as I think I can do it in one message, I end up with three. So, uh, But we've got one more chapter, and then the good stuff starts. We don't want to miss the good stuff. We're going to start talking about the new Jerusalem and heaven and, and everything that goes on with that. So... Uh, we've made it through most of the hard stuff. We're kind of, uh, once again, what we're looking at right now in chapter 17, we are not chronological. With chapter 16, we got all the way through the end of, of the plagues. And then God decided to take us back, and we want to get a, a good look at the harlot, the scarlet harlot, the harlot and scarlet, the, the scarlet beast, and all that was going along with that. We, we've talked about and recognized that the, the harlot was false religions, that she was the mother of all false religions. And so at this time, all of the false religions will come back together. Um, there are a lot of similarities, as I've mentioned before. If you look at false religions, there's a lot of similarities. That's because they all had one start, and that was in Babylon. That was in, at the Tower of Babel was where all false religions began and um, so last week, uh, what we looked at, we had one of the seven angels. It doesn't tell us which of the seven angels, but one of the seven angels that poured out the plagues upon the earth at that time had come to John. And it took him to a desolate, a desolate wasteland. And at that time, John had saw two distinct characters, as I mentioned First he saw the harlot, and then he saw the beast. So last week we took the time to look at the harlot that was in Scarlet. We learned that she represented a one-world religion that at first will be fully supported by the beast. In the beginning, at the, at the first three and a half years, the, the beast will recognize the benefit of a one-world religion, and he will support the world religions. And so that's why we see the harlot sitting upon the beast is because he supports her and, and he encourages her. He will see that this one world religion will be lucrative. We see that by the fact that she wore uh, uh, royal colors, that she had precious gems, that she had gold, that she drank from a gold cup. We see that this false religion will be very lucrative, that uh, there will be a lot of money that passes hands uh, during this time. 
And as we will see today, she will be stripped of all of that wealth. She will be stripped of all of that power. She will be left naked and desolate. And with great violence, she will be destroyed by the beast and his henchmen. And then John was told by the angel that he would explain this vision to him. He looked at him. He said, why do you wonder? Why are you standing there confused? He said, just give me a minute and I will explain what this vision is. I will explain what you're looking at here. And so last week we looked at the harlot. Today we will look more closely at the beast. And so before we get into this description that we see of the beast here, I just want, I've got 20 things that we've learned about the beast. And I'm going to name these off and tell you the references to what they are. Number one, it says he will be an intellectual genius. He will be absolutely probably one of the smartest men to have ever walked the earth. We see that in Daniel 8.23. He will be an oratorical genius. In other words, he will be able to speak very eloquent People will be drawn to his speeches when he speaks. You know, you know it, it's in, I find it interesting sometimes. I, I listen to um, some of the old speeches from some of our older presidents. And, and I can remember listening to some speeches from Ronald Reagan, and they were very eloquent, and they were very well put together. And then you listen to some of the speeches <laughs> from our latest presidents, <laughs> And they're almost comical. If it wasn't so sad, it would be comical. But it used to be a time that when a president got up, he got up to, and, and he spoke with such eloquence, and he would speak in a way that would encourage the United States of America to be proud of who they were. And so this, this Antichrist will be very well spoken. He will be a political genius. And by the way, that was Daniel eleven thirty six. He will be a political genius, Revelation chapter 17, verse 11 through 12, which we will look at today. Uh, Revelation chapter 17, verse 11 through 12. He will be a commercial genius. We see that in Daniel chapter 11, verse 43. Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. He will be a military genius. Revelation 6.2. Revelation 13.2. He will be a religious genius. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. And Revelation 13.8. He will begin by controlling the western power block. Revelation chapter 17, verse 12. He will make a seven-year covenant with Israel, but he will break it after three and a half years. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. He will attempt to destroy all of Israel. Revelation 12. He will destroy the false religious system so that he may rule unhindered. Revelation chapter 17, we're going to look at that today. He will set himself up as God. 
Daniel chapter 11, verse 36 and 37. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4 and 2, 11. Revelation 13, 5. He will do everything according to his own selfish will. Daniel eleven thirty six, He will re not, re will not regard the God of his fathers, Daniel eleven thirty seven. He will not have the desire of women. In other words, he will either be asexual or he will be homosexual, but he will ha not have the desire of women. And, and, I, and I've often said what better times for the Antichrist to come on the scene than now when homosexuality and, and sexual perversion is celebrated, not just in this country, but in all of the world, unless you go to the Middle East, and then they'll still throw you off the roof. Um, he, his God will be the God of power, Daniel eleven thirty eight. 38. He will be a master of deceit, 2 Thessalonians 2, 10. He will profane the temple, Matthew 24, 15. He will be energized by Satan himself, Revelation 13, 2, he will briefly rule over all the nations. Psalm 2, Daniel eleven thirty six, Revelation 13, 16. And finally, he will be utterly crushed by the Lord Jesus Christ at the battle of Armageddon, Revelation 19. Amen. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 17. And we're going to start with verse 7. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the, women, the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is. And the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast." These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where, where the horse sitteth, are people and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, 
and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is the great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. All right. There's a lot going on there. First time you read through that, you go, what in the world are they talking about? The one that was, was not, and now is. The one that will be, won't be, and can't be. Uh, you have all, and you read it, and you're going, what in the world is that all talking about? The one that is a part of the seventh, but will be the eighth? And it's like, what? But hopefully today, I'm going to do my best. And, and, and I stopped, and I prayed as I prepared this. I said, God, please help me understand this well enough to explain it in a way that you will understand it. Because there's a lot going on here. And it's actually, once you get into it, it, it's not that hard to interpret, but it's sometimes hard to bring it out in a way that everybody understands. So I'm going to do my best this morning, pray this morning, that I'm able to explain this in a way we can all understand it. So the first thing John sees this beast with seven heads and ten horns. Seven heads and ten horns. Now, the first thing that the angel points out is that this beast was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. Now, in order for us to understand what he's talking about there, we kind of got to fall back a little bit to understand some of the things that have happened in the past to bring us to where we're at right now. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3, It says, and I saw one of his heads, this is speaking of the dragon, this is speaking of Satan. So one of his heads, um, as it were, in other words, it wasn't really a death. He's speaking of the Antichrist here. And so it says, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all of the wonder and all of the world wondered after the beast. Okay, so what we see now is we see this the Antichrist, and it says that at some time, and I believe it's somewhere towards the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist will seem to have been assassinated. <coughs> this will be probably worldwide seen. It'll probably be done during a time that he, he's given some worldwide speech or something that's going on. And so the world will see this Antichrist assassinated. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, they will see him die on TV. The world will be convinced he is dead. And then at some point, the Antichrist will seem or appear to be raised from the dead. Now, I've mentioned before, Satan has no power of life. And so either A... God allows this, and, and, and he himself brings back to life the Antichrist for his purpose. Or, I kind of lean towards the fact that this was, he was probably never really dead. That it is the appearance of death. And then you can imagine that they have this funeral for the Antichrist. They have all the worlds looking upon this great man that was going to bring peace to the world. Or who had brought peace to the world. <coughs> and then during the time of the funeral, the man will be raised from the dead or appear to be raised from the dead. And the world, it says, the world will wonder after him. 
because he was raised from the dead. Um, so we know that the Antichrist will appear on the scene at the beginning of the seven and a half years. We know that because it says he will come in and his weapon of choice will be peace. It will be false peace. If you remember, he had a bow and no arrows. He came into battle, and what did he battle with? He battled with peace. He came in, and he made, the first thing he will do is make a peace treaty with Israel. And in that peace treaty, he will say, I will protect you, and I will help you rebuild the temple. And they will reinstitute the sacrificial system for Israel. <coughs> the Antichrist will be charismatic. He will be exciting. He will be ambitious. He will be good-looking. And he will be well-spoken, as we looked at earlier. And so, as I said, he will sign this peace treaty with Israel. And then it says, The beast thou sawest was. So somewhere around the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist will appear to be assassinated. Um, the whole world will see this. The beast that thou sawest was not. So he was alive. It appears he is dead, so he was not. He was, he is not. And then it says, um, during the fifth seal judgment, in Revelation chapter 9, Satan was given the key to the abyss, to the bottomless pit. So during that time, all of these demons were released from the, the bottomless pit. Now, I believe that this will coincide with the assassination of the beast. At the time he appears to be raised from the dead, one of those demons that are released during the fifth seal will indwell, will possess the Antichrist. And we see that because we see a great difference in the way he reacts to the world all the way up for the first three and a half years he was a man of peace all the way up to the midpoint of the tribulation he spoke peace and all of the sudden as he's raised from the dead he stands up in the temple and he says i am god and you will worship me something changed about him something was different and i believe as we read that at that time, his resurrection and possession, he will be emboldened. He will stand in the new temple. He will declare himself to be God, the, the abomination of desolation. And some believe, because if you take the number of his name, and the number of his name is 666. I remind you, it's not 666. It is 666. And 66. That's important that we understand that. And some believe if you take the number of his name, 666, and you use the Hebrew alphabet. Now there's a name that pops up if you use that. You come up with the name Caesar Nero. If you take the name Caesar Nero, it adds up to 666. 
So therefore, commentaries and commentators believe that the demon that will come out of the abyss to possess the Antichrist, to possess the beast, will be the actual demon that possessed Caesar Nero and was bound in the pit until that time. Whether that's true or not, they're way smarter than I am if they can figure that out. But they say, they just believe because the name, and Caesar Nero was demon-possessed. There was no doubt about that. Caesar Nero used to hang Christians in his garden, cover them with tar, and set them on fire, and then ride around in the garden at night naked, screaming at the top of his lungs. Caesar Nero was definitely demon-possessed. During the time of Caesar Nero, there was a time when Paul encountered Caesar Nero, right up to the point that he, before he met Paul, he was actually not a bad person. He was not a bad king. But anybody who comes into the presence of Paul and is presented with the gospel has got to make a choice. And so they believe that after the time that he spent with Paul, he made a choice, and that choice was the wrong choice, and at that point he became demon-possessed, and that's when you see him become so evil. And so because his name spells is spelled out by number 666, some believe the same demon that possessed him will come out of the abyss and will then possess the Antichrist. You can take that for what it's worth. I can't back that up biblically, but that's what they believe. And so the beast that thou sawest was is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. That's where that comes from. And then during the battle of Armageddon, according to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20, the beast and his sidekick, the false prophet, will be both cast alive into the lake of fire. That fire that is burning with brimstone. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and shall go into perdition. And because of this very public assassination and resurrection and declaration of deity, those who remain on earth will wonder and the unbelievers... Because it says those whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. They will worship this beast and ultimately they will seal their fate for eternity when they take the mark of the beast. When they worship his image. And it says they will join the beast and the false prophet in that lake of fire. Verse 9, first part says, And here is the mind which has, hath wisdom. Listen, the angel saying, listen. He says, pay close attention. This isn't going to be easy to understand. This is the mind that has wisdom, if you'll think about it. This is going to take a little effort on your part. This isn't going to be easy to understand this isn't going to be something that everybody's going to understand and to be quite honest there's probably some of this that we will never understand until that time comes but he says pay close attention make effort to understand what i'm talking about here 
And then he goes on and he says, The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, the other is not yet come, and when he cometh, he must continue for a short space. Okay, now the first thing we see here, it talks about the seven hills. Now, some commentators, I, I, I sat down and, and I looked at probably eight or ten commentators on this, and about half of them believe that this is speaking of Rome. And the reason they believe that it's speaking of Rome, because Rome was called the city on seven mountains. And so they believe, or, or city hills, I, I mean seven city, the city on seven hills, that's what it's called. And so the city of seven hills. Now, the problem with that is, and, and, and where you find in the other commentators as they look at this, the problem that you have with this is that in verse 10, the angel attaches seven kings to those seven hills. So it speaks of seven kings attached to the seven hills. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, mountains uh, um, are symbolic or representative of power, rule and power. So here are seven mountains and seven kings. The other half of the commentators believe this is talking about seven empires. Seven empires. Um, five have fallen. One is, and the other is not yet come. So now think about the time that John is writing this. Five have fallen. During the time of John... Five Gentile nations had fallen. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. All five of those had fallen before John come on the scene. He said, so five had fallen, one is. What was the one that was at the time of John? Rome. So five have fallen, Rome is, is currently going on, and there's one that hasn't come yet. That would be the kingdom or the empire of the Antichrist, right? Five have fallen, Rome is present, the Antichrist's empire is coming. It's coming. Um, so it says the harlot or false religion will depend on all of the empires of the world to support and inspire her directions. She will be inspired by all of the empires of the world. It says she's sitting upon those seven hills. And so the religion will depend upon the world to tell her what she needs to believe. To support her. To encourage her. She will not, the, the religions will not go to God for inspiration, but to the world. Does it sound familiar? Now, it says that the seventh empire will only last for a short period. For just a very short period, 42 months, three and a half years, is all the seventh kingdom will last. Now, verse 11 says, And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seventh, and he goeth into perdition. What in the world is that talking about? How in the world could be he be the eighth? We're not even talking about eight here. We're only talking about seven. And yet the angel says he will be the eighth 
and he will be a part of the seven. Well, how is that even possible? So now you have to look at the Antichrist and his empires will be two separate empires. You see the seventh empire, he will be the seventh empire, the beginning, the first three and a half years. And when he becomes demon-possessed and he stands up and he proclaims himself to be God, and this will be a new empire, a new kingdom, a new beginning. Now he will demand that you worship who? Him. You will worship me or you will die. You will follow my kingdom or you will die. So the eighth kingdom, although it's the same man, will be completely separate from the first seven. Completely separate. He will be a a kingdom in and of himself. And so at the point we see it has to do with the fact that he was and then he was not, right? So when he was, that was number seven. When he was not, he was dead. When he was again, he was the eighth, a new kingdom, completely separate from the first seven. <laughs> and so we see that, that he, his kingdom will last but a very short time, which speaks of the last three and a half years. The first kingdom lasts, is the first three and a half. His second kingdom will be the second three and a half, a very short time. And it will end at the end of the tribulation. Now, there are some who believe, and and once again, uh, people really want to drag Rome into this. And there are some who believe that because Rome never really was destroyed, Rome kind of imploded. And so some believe that the the seventh kingdom will just be a restarting of Rome. It will just be a continuation of Rome. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't believe that's what's going on here or what it's talking about. Um, but that is, I just wanted to throw it out there because there are some who believe that the Antichrist's first kingdom will be just a, a continuation of the sixth. Could be. Um, and as we said earlier, uh, it goes on to say that he will be cast into the lake of fire. So we know at the end of his kingdom, at the end of the three and a half years, he will be cast into the fire. Um, verse 12. And then we have the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and their strength unto the beast. Okay, so he makes it very clear who this is. Right? He says, listen, we're talking about ten kings here that will come into power under the Antichrist. They have no power right now. They're not kings per se at all. The time he's talking to John, he said they're not. We're not even talking about kings that are even here yet. And so the Antichrist's worldwide empire, um, these kings will give total allegiance to the beast and his cause. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I was listening to one commentator and he was talking about the fact that, that world, the world leaders are coming together and they are now trying to come up with a plan to actually divide the kingdoms of the world into 10 categories, into 10 regions. Hmm. 
Interesting. Very interesting. Um, and it says, so, so what we see here is you have these ten kings that are given powers, they're given uh, a region somewhere upon the world. The world's power will be divided into ten regions. You will have these ten kings, and they will give complete allegiance to the Antichrist, and they will do his will 100%. They will follow, they will believe, they will do everything that he says to do. Uh, verse 14 says, These shall make war with the Lamb. The Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Now, Revelations chapter 16, verse 13 through 14, and then also verse 16 tells us that the beast and the false prophet and Satan himself will influence all of these kings and all of these remaining people that are upon the earth to rise up against the Lamb, the Battle of Armageddon. They will be drawn uh, to, to the, the valley of Megiddo, they would come in for the battle of Armageddon. And it says that the, the, the Antichrist and the false beasts, it, remember it talks about the, the, the beast or the, the demonic coming out of the mouth like a frog. It speaks of their influence. They're able to talk and to show signs and wonders and show miracles and convince people that they're right, that they're God's. And they will convince them that they can destroy God himself. And they will rise up and they will gather themselves together at the Valley of Megiddo for the Battle of Armageddon. I find it interesting that they call this a battle when what it will be is a slaughter. If you remember, it was described as the wine press. And what happens to a grape inside of a wine press, it is crushed. It will be a slaughter. There will be no battle. There will be no fight. It will be a slaughter. Jesus will speak the words and he will crush them with the spoken word. And according to this verse, we, us, Christians, will be gathered with him. We will get to see this. We will be able to witness this battle. For it says, the called, the chosen, and the faithful will be with him to witness this. To witness the, the, the slaughter of the wicked. And then we already discussed verse 15 last week. It speaks of the waters being the many nations' tongues. And also, let's jump to 16, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and to give their kingdom unto the beast, until the word of God shall be fulfilled. So as we mentioned last week, the Antichrist and the ten kings will destroy this false religion. Will destroy it. it will, he will take their wealth and with great violence and with great force 
He will force those that are left upon the earth to worship the beast and his image. This is not going to be voluntary. It will be forced by violence to worship the beast. The day of choosing whether you want to serve a God is over. You will worship the beast or you will die. That will be the only option. But the thing about it, and it's interesting because we talked about this in Sunday school class this morning as, as we looked at King Cyrus. And King Cyrus, uh, a, a pagan king, had been inspired by God. God had spoken to King Cyrus and told him, and Cyrus recognized that all the kingdoms had been given to him by Jehovah God. And he recognized, and God spoke to his heart and told him he needed to build a temple in Jerusalem. So Cyrus recognized all of this. What these people don't recognize is that God is inspiring them and causing them to rise up and to do what they're doing right now. They don't recognize that. They don't see that. They think that they're rising up and doing this all on their own power. But it says that he caused them to do this. Once again, he uses them as his puppet to conclude his final will. This has been prophesied. This has been put out there. And so it will happen. And he will cause them to gather in the valley of Megiddo to be destroyed at Armageddon. Listen, never forget, all of this is a part of Jehovah's final plan. It's all a part. None of this is, is, is under their control. None of this is under their power. This is all written in the Word. It's all a part of God's final plan. And I know, as we, as we read through this, I, I, I know a lot of this is hard to understand. I know a lot of it. That's why the angel told him, listen, you know, this is a difficult. This is hard to understand. And I understand that. And I've done my best to try to, I hope I, I was clear at some point, um, and I hope I brought just a little clarity on what was going on here. But listen, this is the main takeaway today. This is what I want us to understand. Only, listen, only those whose names were not written down were deceived by the Antichrist. If you are a true believer, if you are a true Christian, if you are a, a true follower of Jesus, you will not be deceived. You will not be deceived. It says only those whose names were not written down. Not a single one of the believers were deceived. Not one. Don't worry about being deceived. Don't worry about being tricked. Man, we, this is a reoccurring theme. We've seen this throughout as we've studied through Revelation. Don't be afraid that you're going to be tricked into being, uh, to taking the mark. Don't be afraid that the Antichrist is going to deceive you. First off, I don't believe we're going to be here. I don't believe. I believe the scripture is very clear. The church will be raptured out at the beginning of the seven years. We will, we will watch it from a distance. But even at that, if you are a true believer, if you are a follower of Jehovah, if you believe the word of God, you will not be deceived by the enemy. That's what I want us to get from today. There was a lot going on. I, I know that. Sometimes it's hard for me to understand it, and I've been studying it hard. But the one thing we get is this. As a believer, you will not be deceived. 
right? You will not be deceived. God is not bringing you all this way to allow you to be tricked into walking away from God. Would you stand to your feet? All right, one more chapter. Hang in there, one more chapter, and then it's going to get good. You ain't going to want to miss the rest of it. Father, thank you. And God, I, I just pray today that um, all those that are here would take time and go back and, and maybe read through and, 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 and just pray, God. You said that you give us knowledge as we seek it. And God, sometimes it's just hard to bring this stuff out in a way, and you understand that. The angel made that very clear. But God, we thank you that you give us the assurance, that you have given us that assurance that we will not be deceived by the enemy. If we follow you, if we serve you, if we study your word, if we pray, if we give uh, ample time to you, to the church, to the family, God, that you will not allow us to be tricked. You will not allow us to be deceived because we are your children, God. We are your children. And you are a very jealous parent. And we are so thankful for that. And now, Father, as we conclude this service, as we leave this house, I pray you pour your blessings out upon these people today, your people today. And God, I do pray for rest. And we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.